Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. His first love was moss. Then cocktails followed. Our guest today, Gregory Buddha, technically Dr. Gregory Buddha, having completed a PhD in plant biology, was on his way to doing a postdoc when he heard the call of the New York City bar scene. Now as bar consultant to Dickey's Bar in London, he brings with him a title of Director of Education and Training Manager from the Dead Rabbit, voted the best bar in the world. Listen in as he tells us how he got from science to hospitality in such a short time. Uh, well, I feel like my, my life has been a series of hard left turns from when I was a little kid uh, in terms of where my career path has, has led me. I have always been interested in science. Um, when I went to college, I was originally going to school for environmental policy and realized very quickly that I, I loved the science that we had to learn and I really despised all of the law and law and ethics courses and all of that sort of thing. Um, so I very quickly changed my major and did two bachelor's degrees, one in molecular biology and one in chemistry. Um, and it was... Were you always tinkering stuff when you were young? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I had the, you know, the little science kits. I had, you I had blow a, up anything, a little, little museum in my backyard for all the, the weird stuff that I collected. And um, I didn't have many friends in school, as you might imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm sure you do now, though, because you can make a mean drink. A couple good ones. <laughs> um, but when I was toward the end of my undergrad, I started to become really interested in plants and decided to pursue a career in plant research. So I went to Cornell. Was there a specific plant? Um, I was really interested in mosses, actually. I uh, ended up doing most of my PhD work on moss biology. Uh, and I had an advisor that was very patient and accommodating with my interests, which was very lucky. On my are there part. all? Are there are a lot of different mosses? Uh, there are a lot of different mosses. There are not too many moss biologists floating around. We're a very small community worldwide. Um, but once again, in grad school, I was I was doing research with the aim of becoming a professor and running a research lab. Um, what I became really fascinated with in grad school was, of course, the science, but more specifically, scientific imaging. So most of my PhD was spent developing uh, new microscope techniques for looking at plant cell lipids. Um, but I also learned how to use cameras from a very technical point of view, doing imaging for scientific journal articles for all the projects going on in my lab. and started taking up photography as a hobby. So were you going to give up research? Um, no, that wasn't the plan at the, at the time at all. Um, I finished my PhD, 
And while I was in grad school, I w- had started working at a bar in town. Uh, to what town is this? This is Ithaca, New York. I, okay. I was going to school at Cornell University. Right. Um, so I was uh, bartending at a little bar called Stella's. Um, Right in College Town in Ithaca, right next to Cornell. So, are we talking a lot of beers, a lot of Jello shots? That this was kind of actually thing? one of the few cocktail bars in town. They weren't they weren't amazing cocktails when I started, but it was one of the few places that actually served a good list of cocktails with a little bit of creativity behind them. Um, right, because there's lots of grad schools at Cornell, so people can drink. It's over the drinking yeah, age. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's not I mean, just undergrads. There's lots of, lots of undergrads as yeah. well, and and that was a whole other set of challenges because you know you have people that are just becoming drinking age the year that they're leaving school they turn 21 and then they're gone in six months so we had a pretty rapidly uh changing clientele Mm -hmm. at our bar um but what started out as a job just to earn a little bit of extra money turned into a, a passion that i really wasn't expecting i started uh, becoming interested in spirits and because of what I was studying in plant biology that started tying in in my head to uh, what I was learning about plants and agriculture and how they can be used in cooking and how they can be used to make to make booze to make wine to make whiskey and this was um, all while you were doing your degree yeah I you know I was just reading on my free time I was bringing in stuff that I was learning in in Cornell and kind of applying it a little bit to what I was doing behind the bar just for fun. And were the owners of the bar up with this? Yeah, they were They were very happy with that. Um, a couple of years into that job, the ownership of the restaurant changed, and the people that bought it uh, were investors but had no experience running a bar. So they turned over the management of their whole business to me and four other people. So we each kind of had our own departments. We had a head chef, we had a general manager. I was put in charge of the bar. And that was my like deer in headlights moment. I'm like, wow, I really don't know anything. So <laughs> I started reading a lot more. I went to New York City and like visited all the top bars and like started meeting people and taking some classes. Uh, well, then what were the top bars in New York? Um, at that point, I went to Milk and Honey, which was still open at the time. Uh, I went to Pegu Club, um, Clover Club in Brooklyn, uh, employees only. So it had already started. The whole it had, cocktail culture had yeah, started sure. in New York. So great places to learn. Yeah, we were still, you know, we were still climbing. We were still mm-hmm. riding the crest of that wave. But being in such a small town, like cocktail culture, definitely hits the major cities long before it makes it out into the the rural spots. So what I wanted to do for the bar was pretty far ahead of anything that was going on in Ithaca at the time. And um, your professors at Cornell, did they know that you were doing this? They did. Did they come in for a drink sometimes? They did. They did. Um, I was always a little nervous because technically you're not supposed to have a job while you're in grad school because you're being paid a stipend to do basically as much research as you can fit into a day. <laughs> um, but my, but this, tech, this could be called research, yeah, but a different kind of But my advisor was, was fine with it. He, okay. I obviously kept him in the loop. Right. I always did my work and got everything in on time. So. Um, but and how about your parents? That was a hard conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Several hard but conversations. But <laughs> <laughs> Did they know that you were doing this, this at the oh, same time? They knew that they I was working at the bar. Right, they were okay. totally fine with that. But what started out as you know a couple nights a week just bartending for some extra money turned into managing a business mm-hmm. while I was in grad school. Um, but I still I finished my PhD in record time. I got... Uh, some amazing publications. So by, you're Dr. Buddha, really? Yeah, yeah I guess so. <laughs> it's not what I go by. But. <laughs> um, 
but after grad school, I, I intended to do a postdoc and kind of continue on the path, but I decided to take a little bit of a break and travel for a while, and halfway through those travels, I you know, found myself thinking, you know, I, I, I'm still young. I'm not, I'm not ready to give up on bartending yet. I want to have a little bit more fun before I settle into a life Now, were you going to do your coat. post-grad in, at Cornell still? No, I was, oh, so looki- you, I was looking at so other So you had left that bar. You said bye-bye to that, yeah, that bar. Yeah, you were yeah when, I, when I left untethered. Ithaca, I packed up my house into a storage unit and got okay. a backpack and, and went mm-hmm, to the South mm-hmm, Pacific mm-hmm. for But you still months. heard that voice saying... A little bit, yeah. I wasn't quite ready to, to drop it, yeah. So my, my plan was to move to New York, uh, play in the bar industry for a year, and then continue on my way. And how many and years here, ago was Here that? we are five and a half years later. <laughs> not so much time. Not fast. Not, but, not too much time. Not uh-huh. too much time. But um, All right, so then when you told your parents, oh, sorry, this is too intimate. But no, the, no that, it was a hard like, conversation. They, you know... My parents were very, are very proud of me, and they're, they've always been very supportive of my interests. And I think for them, it was it was a very jarring piece of news that I was giving up a sure thing in research with a steady career and, and you know tenure track and, and a very stable sort of job and pouring beers in New York. I guess that's how they thought of it. Um, and I think you know even working at Stella's in, in Ithaca for for several years and having them come visit I don't think it quite clicked with them my, my parents they don't come from a, a background where going out to eat and drink is is a normal thing we would always cook at home through my childhood going out was a very special and rare treat um, so I don't think it was until they came to visit me in New York and saw me at the Dead Rabbit and I took them around to some of the restaurants and bars in New York that it it clicked with them the sort of industry that I had gotten myself into. It wasn't just slinging beers and shots across a bar until five in the morning to loud music. Like there was a lot of passion and science that goes into what I'm doing, and uh, I didn't think I, I don't think they appreciated that until they saw it firsthand. Absolutely, I think and that, that you know earlier changed. generations <clears throat> think of a bartender as a completely different thing than yeah. it is now. So. Um, they have, you know, definitely my family has seen through what I've done that a bar isn't just a bar. A bartender isn't just a bartender anymore. Yeah. Um, so back to New York, though. When was Dead Rabbit your first job there? It wasn't, actually. Um, I've worked at several job jobs in New York uh, in, the, in the bar industry. I started off working as a bar back at one of my absolute favorite bars in the world called The Beagle. Uh, it was a little cocktail bar on the Lower East Side. I had met the owners uh, when I had come down as Stella's bar manager to take a cocktail class that they were teaching um, and had introduced myself. And when I moved to New York, they were my first stop after I dropped my bags off was to say, hey, can I work for you guys? Um, they didn't have any bartending spots open, but they asked if I was willing to bar back for a short while. And I said, absolutely. Um, I think I learned more bar backing for those guys in two months than I learned in six years of working and running a bar upstate. Like the the level, the quality, the thought that goes into it, it was just a whole nother world. And that was that was in New York kind of the moment that I was like, wow, this is not what I thought it was going to be. It's so cool. <laughs> um, so I transitioned into bartending there. Um, I was also working at a wine bar in Midtown East for a little while and ended up opening a bar on the Upper West Side, uh, not as an owner, but as the opening bar manager up there. Um, 
but the Beagle uh, eventually closed, and when it closed, I was passed off to have a conversation with Jack and Sean, who are the owners of Dead Rabbit, and I came highly recommended from the Beagle, and they had a bartender leaving, and it was a perfect transition. I got really lucky. Um, I bugged them for a couple weeks, and, and then I then I had a job almost the day after the Beagle closed. And that, that's fantastic. And yeah. how long had Dead Rabbit been open? Um, only a few months at that point. Uh, by the time so I started really working there, there at the was, beginning. it was September, October when I started working at Dead Rabbit, and they opened up in February. So it was like five, six yeah. months in. Mm. Um, Did you know right away that this was a bar that was destined to be the best bar in the world? It became very quickly apparent to me. Mm. It was a very intense place to work. I'd never experienced anything like that before. They were... Uh, Ruthless in terms of attention to detail, and everything was was thought out to an extent that I had never seen in a business before. And you know, I came later to learn that the the people behind it that they, they had every intention of opening the world's best bar three years before it w- was even a thing. Like it was, it wasn't. This is a great bar. Look how far we've come. It's this is what we're going to do, and here's how we're going to do it. They had a plan laid out for everything. It was really incredible to watch. And were you able to fulfill that need, I guess, as a researcher to, to plan things and try things? And you Definitely, know, yeah. Did you um, feel, did you ever miss that? I definitely miss that still. Uh-huh. Um, there's, there are pros and cons to being behind a bar and there are pros and cons to spending your day in a lab. And I think um, I definitely miss being in a room full of intellectuals and having a really detailed conversation about something that nobody else in the world is talking about. The loss. Yeah, or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You, know, cause, you know, research by definition, it's, it's new. It's uncharted territory. So there's that kind of excitement. There's that frustration at the constant failure because contrary to popular belief, research is not a bunch of eureka moments. It's, it's a bunch of disappointing evenings followed years later by maybe one eureka moment mm-hmm. it's it can be pretty painstaking but it's also it's really cool to know that you're doing something that no one else has ever done and that you're maybe helping people down the line you know mm-hmm. with the knowledge that you're giving um the bar on the other side uh gave me the opportunity to be very to be very social in a way like it, it fulfilled that that need to see people and be active and moving around and having conversations and meeting people in a way that being in a lab with the same six or seven people won't. So yeah, I definitely miss that. Um, do you, you've won a lot of competitions. I mean, you've competed in, in this world. Um, do you feel every time you create a drink that it's, it's a little bit towards that, you know, you're you're using your brain in that same kind of way. Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh-huh. There, there's a there's a creativity that goes into it, and I feel like being a being a bartender is, at least in the sort of bars that we're talking about now, mm-hmm. is it's kind of like being a chef. Like, it, if to do it well, it requires that you have a really intimate understanding of all of your ingredients and how they work together and what flavors do and what happens when you turn something into a syrup or an infusion or a tincture and the best way to go about getting a flavor and putting it in liquid form like there's a lot of there is a lot of science that goes into doing that well um so yeah cocktail creation and menu development it's it's definitely fun um do you go back to the plants 
to start a drink, a cocktail? Are you always drawing on that, you know, the knowledge that you have of botany? A little bit, yeah. Um, definitely, I, usually when I start a cocktail, I start with a, what we call flavor mapping. I'll have an idea for two or three flavors that I think will work well together, that I know work well together, and I want to make a drink out of that. So I'm not I'm not thinking in my head this is going to be a martini variation or this is going to be a Manhattan mm-hmm. variation. I don't know what sort of drink it will be. I just know that I need to figure out how to get these flavors together in a cocktail somehow. And then you work away from that. You find other flavors that bring all those together, and you figure out the best way to put those in liquid form, whether it's in a spirit or a syrup or a juice. And then based on that, then you start to say, okay, what sort of cocktail could this, could this be put together to make? Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of the last step for me. Um, I'm not saying that's the right way. That's just kind of the way my thought process works with it. Well, you are the, as you said, the um, director of education for Dead Rabbit. How did you transition from bartender to teaching people exactly what you just taught me right then? <laughs> um, well, to be honest with you, uh, one thing that I always loved in grad school was was teaching. I, I like taking complicated information and breaking it down for people and getting them to understand it. Um, I had to do that when I taught plant biology classes at Cornell as a, as a grad student or a teaching assistant, and um, I really enjoyed that. Um, when I started running the bar at Stella's, I really enjoyed doing trainings on technique and talking to people about ice and like the science behind making drinks properly, because there is a science to that too. Um, and when I worked at Dead Rabbit, the first couple of years, I was just learning. I was with a lot of big-name bartenders in New York. They were my colleagues now, and I, I was watching them constantly and asking questions and taking notes. And somewhere down the line, I started to condense that into some written material. And Jack and Sean, my bosses at Dead Rabbit, are they have always been very unique in that they really... They try to identify in the people that work for them what the passion is and what what benefit outside of the normal job description that person could offer to the company. So for me, they they watched me teach other bartenders or stages that would come through, and they're like, you know, you're really good at that. Like, so we work together to develop that into a position. And especially since Dead Rabbit is now not alone, we have we did a consultancy with Danny Meyer in Chicago to open Green River. Um, we now have a second bar called Blacktail, and we're in the process of opening more bars. Uh, having somebody like me that can kind of oversee the technical aspects of training behind the bar. Um, we have we have head bartenders, and they do the day to day, and they uh, are the leads for creating the menus and everything like that. But my job is to supply people with all of that other information, so knowledge about spirits and the categories and how they're made and knowledge about uh, strategies for developing drinks and knowledge about how to stir and shake properly and how to set up a bar. Like all of, all of the technical in the background stuff is kind of my responsibility. We're here at, at, um, at Dickie's Bar in London. Um, so obviously you're coming outside of the U.S. to do these now. Um, how did this start, this partnership? Well, um, Dead Rabbit, as you can imagine, being one of the top bars in the world, uh, we are reached out to quite a lot by other bar programs uh, to do consultancies, to do training, to do collaborations and pop-ups and events and all sorts of 
uh, all sorts of different things um, all over the U.S. and all, a lot in Europe as well, um, and, and South America and Asia, actually. So, so I guess you can be choosy. It, yeah, a little bit. So my company gets, uh, my company, Dead Rabbit, gets a lot of requests mm-hmm. to participate in some of these consultancies and collaborations. And uh, in the case of this, uh, Chef Corrigan wanted to convert uh, Corrigan's Mayfair's bar into a proper cocktail bar. At the time, it was just uh, a bar that was servicing this beautiful restaurant that we're sitting in. Um, He has amazing food, but they were mainly pouring wine over there, and it's it's a space that wasn't being utilized to the best that it could be. And Chef wanted to... Uh, develop it and do a cocktail bar that could kind of accompany the restaurant. So um, I, th- I believe through a, f- a mutual friend of his and my bosses and other Irishmen. The Irish, the Irish um, connection. <laughs> yep. Uh, he reached out to Dead Rabbit and asked if Dead Rabbit was interested in, in helping out with the bar program. Um, at the time, we were buried up to our necks in opening Blacktail, uh, our sister bar in New York, and my bosses had too much on their plates and so they asked me if if they I think they were interested in it they didn't just say no but they're like look we can't do this as a company but I think our uh, director of education could could be your guy over there so a uh, chef flew me out we had a meeting I talked to them about their concept and and it kind of developed from there so it turned into my consultancy not dead rabbits but um, I definitely you know, check in with them and get their, their advice and feedback whenever I can. And what was their concept for it? Well, um, Chef Chef's Restaurant here focuses very heavily on uh, kind of rustic Irish cuisine um, done in, a, in an incredible fine dining style, but um, kind of going back to his Irish roots. Uh, and he currently owns a uh, an estate and farm over in Ireland called Virginia Park Lodge. Mm-hmm. And it's from this farm that this restaurant sources a lot of its produce, a lot of its game. Uh, and he wanted the bar to definitely tie in with the restaurant in that regard as well. So the, the original concept that we sat down and came up with was uh, a cocktail bar with a small list where the cocktails would feature ingredients coming from the farm at Virginia Park Lodge. There would be a seasonal component to it. And a lot of those ingredients that were being used seasonally in the kitchen, you could also find them in the drinks, and there would be a nice little uh, symmetry going on there. Uh, did he want you to use primarily Irish whiskeys? Yeah, that was kind of a, a second tier of the concept, mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. that we wanted we wanted it to be an Irish focus, but not exclusively, and we wanted a kind of secondary to that uh, big focus on spirits and products from the UK and Ireland. So we have a very big collection of Irish whiskey back there, um, but we also use our, you know, our, our house vodka is an English vodka. It's not Kettle One or Absolute or something mm-hmm. that's not from the UK. Uh, we have a good collection of Irish and British gins. Um, we have a good Scotch collection. So it, it focuses very much on, on Britain and Ireland. Um, it, that's not to say we don't do a couple things, you know, with rum and tequila and mezcal, but that's not the, the focus, I guess. Can you give me an example of one of the drinks that you thought of here, specifically for Jiggies? Sure. Um, let's see, what would be what would be a good... Well, uh, I guess I'll mention one of the, the brand new ones that's going to be going on on the menu in a couple of days. I'm, I'm, I'm over here doing a seasonal menu change right now. So uh, it's going to be a, a smoky, old-fashioned variation. Uh, 
the ingredient coming from Virginia Park Lodge is bilberries, which are kind of a wild relative of blueberries. Um, so we're doing that as a syrup, as the sweetener for the old-fashioned. And it has, has a few other things in there as well, but uh, the base spirits are uh, Teeling Small Batch Irish Whiskey, which is a blended Irish whiskey coming from Teeling Distillery in Dublin, um, and a little bit of Ardbeg Scotch. So again, kind of keeping that uh, spirit focus, Scotland and Ireland, uh, ingredients coming from the farm over in uh, Virginia Park Lodge, and kind of tying that together into a, a seasonal cocktail. It sounds delicious. Will you come make me one? Sure, of course. All right, well, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for having me. After our conversation, Gregory led a few of us in a cocktail-making masterclass at Dickie's Bar. We made one of my new favorites, the simply named Irish Whiskey and Apricot. I had to have it as our cocktail of the week. It may sound simple to make, but it's actually almost impossible. You'll see why in a second. In an ice-filled highball, gently build, 50 mLs of Green Spot Irish Whiskey. Then, top with Dickey's Dried Apricot Soda. Give it five sprays of atomized cinnamon tincture over the surface of the drink, then serve with a straw and garnish with a dried apricot. I know it's not fair, but you have to come to Dickey's to get their homemade apricot soda, because as of now, you can only get it there. Also, you would have to make your own cinnamon tincture, which is not a problem, but takes a good 7 to 14 days. So easy to make and to drink, but oh so hard to get. A reason to make the journey to Dickie's Bar. This and all the recipes you hear on the podcast can be found at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop, except for Dickie's Dried Apricot Soda. Thanks so much to Gregory for his time and make sure you join in a masterclass at Dickie's Bar in the future. Next week, we meet Sam Carter, Senior Ambassador at Bombay Sapphires Distillery at Laverstoke Mill. If you haven't been to Laverstoke, go. Not only is it the most sustainable distillery in the world, but they make some great drinks too. Sam reigns over the place from the Empire Bar, where I get to sit down with him for a chat. Until next time... Bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of a Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra, and I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.